0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Let me ask you a question Are you the type of person who will wait until the gas uh, tank thing says E? before you fill up, or maybe it's been saying "E" for a little while, or are you the kind of person who waits um, till it's like half full or, or, or a quarter tank? How many of you are all the way on E or further? OK? Well, that looks good. How many of you are quarter tank or half tank? And then you're already, you, you got to make a special trip. All right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the way we are. I don't know that I ever really think about it. That's my problem. I just don't think about it until it starts yelling at me. But ironically, um, coincidentally, every time Jackie gets in my truck, it's on E. And, um, and I didn't mean to do that. It's just kind of the way that it happens. Uh, a, a while ago, we were looking for a, a vehicle for Jackie. And we were, we were kind of going around shopping and such. And we were at the Ford dealership because we like good trucks. And so we were there. And uh, we, we got into this SUV that she was interested in. And we noticed that it was on E. All right. And so we were about to test drive this. And, and it was on E. And, and so we were a little worried about that. And we were thinking, you know, I mean, just think about that. You test drive a vehicle and you don't come back for like several hours. And, and you just, we're going to take it around the block and you're still around the block, you know, and you don't have, you know, you're not in an area that you're familiar with, that sort of stuff. And so we got kind of nervous about it. And the, the, the salesperson says, don't worry about that. There are 30 reserve miles. That's what he called it. 30 reserve miles in, in four trucks. I, I guess it could be in other trucks as well, but, and I haven't really tested this in our vehicle, um, either of them, but apparently in the Fords, once it's on E, you have 30 more miles until you actually go into I don't know if that's true or not, but it made us feel a little bit better. And and we took it out and test drove it and, um, you know, came back and such. And I think that it's a good illustration, or at least it illustrates the idea that sometimes we need a little bit more. Sometimes you feel like you're at the bottom of the tank. Like you don't have anything else to give. You are hopeless at the end of your rope and you just need a little bit more. Uh, To be honest, I've wanted to preach a sermon like this for several weeks now. I can tell uh, from the people that I talk to, from watching online, uh, from meeting folks in my office and in coffee shops, there's a number of people who are maybe at the bottom of the barrel. They're they're tired. They're at the end of their rope And, and you're smiling as second family members, you're smiling. You're really nice. You're really gracious. But I can tell you are just like, I don't have anything else to give. And I can tell that. I can tell that um, with you that are gathered here. I can tell that with those of you who are online. Just in our interactions. And, and so for just a second, just this morning, I want to I share with you one of the most beautiful and encouraging texts in all of the Bible. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is this text that speaks to those— who are running on E. Just fumes left, and you're not sure if you're going to make it. It speaks to you, and it lets you know. It actually lets you know about some reserve miles, some reserves that are there that that you can use. Let me pray with you, and then we're going to look at the very end of Isaiah chapter 40. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the time that you give us. God, we come in here right now, and we lay down our arms We lay down our weapons, our armor, and God, we are just, we are exhausted. We are tired. We are depressed. We are discouraged. And while we know that the good southern thing to do is to smile and say that we are fine, deep down we are not. And so, God, I pray that we can break through that and be honest with where we are today. I pray that we would hear, as Christians, we would hear the words of our Father, that somewhere between feeling ignored and forgotten, that we would find a path towards soaring on wings like eagles and running and walking. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So like I said, we're going to focus on the last pericope, the last section in Isaiah. It starts in verse 27, goes down through verse 31. When I was younger, I was about 16, I heard um, this singer I was at a concert in Tyler, Texas, at the oil palace and and um, halfway through the concert the singer the lead singer of the newsboys starts quoting this chapter and it took me a while to realize that he was actually quoting I thought he was just talking poetically or something I don't know and it took me a while to realize he's quoting Isaiah 40 and um, from that it was it was impactful to me because it was so beautiful it was so encouraging I don't know if the text itself was encouraging to me as a 16-year-old, or just anybody speaking in a British accent was encouraging to me. But either way, I, I was fascinated by it. So I just want you to know this. I'm going to read this text to you, 27-31. In my brain, I hear it British, okay? And I'm going to try not to say it with an English accent. Um, it'll come out real weird, some mix between Texan and Arkansan right now. And so um, I'm going to try not to do that. All right, here we go. Isaiah 40, 27-31 says, Jacob, Why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my claim is ignored by God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men may stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. It's a beautiful text. It's poetic. I think the line there, do you not know, have you not heard, is one of the most poetic texts in all of the Old Testament. It it strengthens us. It, It encourages us. There's that line that it starts there that sounds so distant though. Like we don't really understand. It's not the way that we speak. Jacob Why do you say in Israel, why do you assert? It's speaking, Isaiah is speaking about the nation's um, trouble, about their feelings of isolation, about feeling ignored that their way or their life or or the challenges that they're experiencing in their life are, are, are forgotten by God. They they are feeling what a lot of us are feeling right now. As Isaiah speaks to them, he's relaying to a certain emotion that is sort of the emotion that I think a lot of us grasp. We wouldn't say this out loud, but I think it is true that sometimes we think there's so much bad things going on. There's so many... um, challenges and negative and shadows and darkness going on in our world. And not just on, uh, on the news and in the media, but like in our current life. There, there's so much going on that I'm not totally sure whether or not God even knows what I'm dealing with. Like, it's almost like we feel like, you wouldn't say that. Of course God knows. That's what we say up here. But in here we're like, I'm not sure he knows. We, we feel like our way, our life is forgotten. And even if he does know, it's not like he understands. It's not like he really sympathizes with what I'm going through. Jacob, why do you say Israel? Why do you assert? That way of referring to the nation is, is um, symbolic. It has meaning to it. Jacob and Israel historically are the same person. Jacob was this um, twin brother that grew up deceiving people, and that's what Jacob means. And later on, his name is changed to Israel. Genesis chapter 32 is the story of how that happens when he goes from Jacob to Israel. He had left home because he had had deceived his brother. He had tricked his brother out of his inheritance, and and his brother got really mad. His brother says, I'm going to kill you if I can ever get near you. I'm going to kill you. And so Jacob... Jacob runs away from home. He leaves his mama, and he was a mama's boy. He leaves his mama, he leaves his daddy, he leaves his brother, he leaves everything he knows. He runs away from home, and then he's coming back. And the night when he's coming back, the night before he's about to meet his brother, who said he's going to kill him if he ever gets near him. The Bible says in verse 2 that Jacob was greatly distressed, that he was greatly frightened and distressed, that he was afraid and scared to meet his brother. Later on in the chapter, around verse 24, it says that he was all alone and Jacob was left all alone. Jacob felt fear. He felt distress. He's not real sure how things were gonna work out and he felt completely and totally isolated and alone. When Isaiah says, Jacob, why do you say Israel Why do you assert? He's bringing up all of those emotions. He's saying, listen, this is a place, I know where you are and it's a place we've been before where we feel isolated, distressed and alone. He says into that space, he speaks into that space telling telling the nation that they are not alone, that there's a sentiment there that they can relate to, this isolation, this aloneness. I think about it as I think about you. A lot of you, like, I just wrote down some of the things that we, as the second family, are going through. Some of you have lost your job. You didn't do anything wrong. It was just an economic situation. There were layoffs, and people lost their jobs, and so you feel alone. You feel that it's unfair, and I'm on your, I think it is unfair. You were laid off, and so you feel alone. You don't know that you're going to go on any further. How many of you have felt in the current political climate that you are the only sane person in the world? Anybody felt that way before? You feel completely isolated. You're not even totally sure your spouse is voting correctly. But it's secret, so you're not going to talk to them about it. You know, and that kind of stuff. You feel like you watch these things and you're just like, I'm not, I don't know that, I think everybody doesn't lost their minds. You know, you feel alone and you're not real sure how to move forward. When your friends are moving on in life, you get to a certain life stage. And this happens over and over. They get to, they start getting married or, or they start having children, or, or they start buying houses and stuff, and you're kind of left back here all by yourself. You're feeling alone. You're not sure how, how am I supposed to... It doesn't feel fair, and it feels like nobody cares, right? You feel ignored. Nobody cares. God doesn't even understand what you are going through. When you're a believer in school, high school particularly, and your friends are adapting these uh, philosophies and these worldviews, they're saying things, they're, they're, they're talking about stuff that they flat don't understand, And yet you feel like you're supposed to kind of agree with them in some ways. You feel isolated. You feel alone. You feel like nobody understands what's going on. I know there are some folks in our church that wanted to retire. They planned on retiring. But then stuff happened. Like we ran out of toilet paper and now they can't retire, you know. And just stuff happens and nobody really understands why. And so you feel like, I can't keep going with this. I know that there are others because I have spoken to you. As you look towards the holidays... We've got Thanksgiving coming up, Halloween, Christmas, and you feel alone because your family has left you. They've gone on. Some of it's like bad, like there was a fight and they're gone and you don't know how to solve that. Some of it's just life, like they got a job and they had to go or they got married and they they went off, you know, that sort of stuff. And so you feel alone and you feel isolated and you don't know how to go. That's what Isaiah is bringing up here with Jacob and Israel. Jacob, why do you say? Why are you saying that your way is hidden from God? Why are you saying that God has ignored you? Because they would respond, that's how we feel. And that's how you feel. That's how we all feel. But from that place and in that spot where we have all been, let Isaiah remind you of something that you already know. Verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? I can almost hear Isaiah. I can see Isaiah looking at the nation like this. I know you know, right? You already know these things. A lot of times when I'm talking to people about something that they're going through, one of the things that I end up telling people is, I think you already know the answer. You just want somebody to tell you that so that you will go ahead and do it, right? This is what Isaiah says to the nation. He says, you know, haven't you heard? The Lord, he is everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint nor weary. There is no limit to his understanding. These these answers speak directly to our fears. He is a God who is everlasting. He is a God who has no limit to his understanding. When I bring up those situations that cause us anxiety, when I bring up those situations that make you feel alone, I don't believe that you think you're not going to make it through the election. Everyone here, you're going to survive it, you're going to wake up the day after. You know that, right? You know that eventually you're going, to, you're going to make it through the pandemic. We're eventually going to be on the other side of this. Your biggest fear is not going through the thing and living. Your biggest fear, I think if we're honest, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's just me, is what is it going to be like on the other side of this thing? Like, I know I'm going to be there. I'm just not sure if I want to. We have different fears. We bring things up like, What will our country look like the day after the election? Or, you know, several months after the election. What will the world be like that uh, my kids grow up in? You know, eventually they're going to get to a stage where I'm like, all right, leave and go be an adult. But what will that world be like when they're in that situation? When I graduate college, am I going to have a job? The thing that I'm majoring in, is it going to even be there? And what will it look like? Or, as I've heard a lot of people, as they start to get into, uh, you know, where you start practicing what you're doing, and you're like, I'm not even sure the thing that I studied, I want to still do. Because it changed dramatically, right? Like the last couple of months. What is it going to look like on the other side of all of this? I've talked to high school students here in Conway who uh, say, like, when you go to high school, like, particularly on Fridays, it's a ghost town. It's like 50 people in that thing that looks like a university off of a Disney movie. And everybody's, there's just nobody there, you know? There's nobody there. And so we feel like, I know that I can survive this. I'm just not sure what it's going to look like on the other side. And so Isaiah says to that, do you not know? Have you not heard? God is everlasting. Whatever it looks like on the other side, God will be there. Whatever it is on the other side, God will be there. Isaiah cannot tell you, I cannot tell you, Jacob nor Israel could tell you. But God will be there and he will help you through that situation. When you have a degree and you're not sure how you're going to use it, God will help you through on that side of things. It's like when the doctor comes in right before your surgery, you know. You've already talked to her. She told you the plan. All that. Y'all, y'all made a plan together. And now she's going to cut you. Um, but you'll be asleep. So it'll be fine. And so she comes in to talk to you about it. And she's, she's sharing with you. Okay, look. Dr. Words, Dr. Words, Dr. Words. I'll see you when you wake up. You know, all that kind of stuff. You feel better about it. Why? Because she's going to be on the other. The person responsible for all of this says, I will see you on the other side of this. And so you feel better about that. I I do. You feel better because the person in charge is going to be on the other side. That's exactly what Isaiah says about God. Not only is he everlasting, but he understands. He knows. He comprehends. He knows more about the situation than you know about the situation. The problem is we tend to think that God only knows and that he doesn't understand. It's not, at least, not in the way that would give us sympathy. We think God knows all the details. But does he really understand what I'm going through? Does he really understand how I feel about these things? Hebrews 4:15 says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. Here's the reality that Isaiah is teaching that Jesus would live is you are not going to go through anything that Jesus does not walk with you through. It's not just that he will be there on the other side of it. It's that he will be there all the way through it. So whatever you're afraid of, whatever is really getting you down, whatever is tearing you up inside, God understands. God knows. He has perfect understanding in all of this. This is one of the amazing things about Jesus. Not just that he was born that we celebrate at Christmas time. Not that just that he was resurrected, that we celebrate at Easter, but that he lived his life, which is great because that's the stage we're in. You know, we already did the born thing and we'll do the died thing later, but right now, right now we're in the live thing. And that's what Jesus did successfully. And so when Jesus says, I sympathize with you, it's not just cognitively he, I kind of know the details of what you're going through. Jesus says, I went through it and I'm going through it with you. Do you not know? Have you not heard? He's everlasting. And there is no limit to his understanding. So you can feel isolated and alone and depressed, but you know that God is here with you. I just want to remind you of that. He is everlasting. He knows and he acts. 29 through 31. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. What does it mean for God to give us strength. And how is that helpful in any way? I mean, in general, how do people give somebody else their strong? How do you give somebody your strength? And what does it mean when God says that? There's a couple of things that I observed. The first one is in verse 29, He gives strength to the faint. Or he gives rest to the weary. Maybe the way that your translation says it. The way that I wrote it down is he gives strength to the tired. But why would a person who follows Jesus, why would they be tired? Well, I think they're tired for two reasons. The first one is that uh, they're doing good. And the second one is that they're fighting evil. These are the reasons, right? We don't say it that way. But these are the reasons that we get so tired as Christians. We get worn out. We get exhausted. Because we're doing good and we're fighting evil. How many times have you lived your life? You're, you're trying to mind your own business. People talking mean to you and you're, and you're speaking back kindness and love. You're being gracious and generous. You're, you're giving of yourself. You're serving where needed. You're helping those who are hungry. You're doing good things and you're exhausted. That's because of the good life, doing good things, is, is exhausting. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about two roads. He says there's just one road that leads to life and it's a good life and it is a Difficult road. It's hard to be good in a bad world. It is hard. But he gives strength. The other thing is the the fighting evil. Sometimes, sometimes, I think we forgot this largely, but sometimes it is not enough just not to say something mean back. On occasion, you're going to have to stand up and say, stop it. On occasion, you're going to have to stand in between the bully and the bullied. And what most often happens when you do that, and you should do that, when you do that, you become the target of the bully's uh, really mean Twitter words or whatever, you know, that they are so brave to say, not to my face. You know, you become the object of those things. Sometimes you're going to have to stand up and say, this is too far. Sometimes you're going to have to stand up and risk ridicule or um, loss in economic strength or just popularity. Whatever it is, you are going to have to actually fight against something that is wrong. And that can be exhausting. It can be so tiring. And in both situations, the Bible says that God gives strength to the tired, to those who are doing something, to those who are trying, to those who have used up all of their resources. He gives strength to the tired. Not only does he give strength to the tired, but he renews their strength. Verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. This is obvious, right? But renew means to make new again. That's what renew means. I know you all know that. But what it makes, uh, what it gives me opportunity to do is bring up one of my favorite Uh, threads in the Bible, or this theme that runs throughout all of the Bible. God is what I call a re-ing God. That's not a real word. I made it up, but I'll I'll explain why. R-E-I-N-G. God really likes R-E words. God likes doing things that start with R-E. He is all about renewing and a rebirth, restoring and redeeming. God does these things to make things new. And I love that because all of our stuff is broken. All of our stuff is tired and worn out and nasty. God makes things new. Our lives are broken and we need to be reborn. Our hearts are broken and we need to be restored. Our souls are broken and we need to be redeemed. God gives us new versions of the things that we broke. Our strength is depleted, and God is willing to give us new strength. So God, God gives strength to those who are working, those who are fighting, and he gives new strength when that is all worn out. So when you feel hopeless and in despair, you feel like God is ignoring you or that he doesn't understand, God is willing to give you strength, to give you what you need to make it through what you are dealing with. But how? How do you give strength? There's two verses that really kind of embody this. They're, they're found, well, it's actually three verses, but they're found close together in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what the Bible says. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. And we are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. How many of you feel like everything outside of you is being destroyed? You feel weak, you feel tired, you feel hopeless. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. He renews their strength. How? By being in Jesus. Our strength is given. Our strength is renewed. Our strength is made stronger by our strength. Putting our trust and our hope in Jesus. When we are in Jesus, then it is Jesus working through us. He is the one who does the heavy lifting, He is the one that makes us strong, He is the one that carries us through. There's been a number of times while kayaking um, with the boys that they will decide they don't want to paddle anymore. So we'll be out in the middle of a lake and they're just, I'm done. And that's so fun, let me tell you. It's like when people talk about how fun it is to take your sons fishing. I get why they say that, but it is not fun, all right? You're not fishing. You're just pulling stuff and untangling stuff and breaking up fights and re-hooking stuff and hooking your finger. It's just not fun. And uh, taking kids kayaking is very, very similar to that. And so what I'll do on occasion is uh, when they are done um, paddling, I will get my boat behind their boat and I will line them up and then I will paddle and push their boat, you know. And then I'll start saying stuff like, hey, you got to paddle a little bit up there or, uh, you know, that doesn't help when you lean all the way into the water on that side. That sort of stuff. That's just the kind of thing. And what's happening is my strength through their boat. I'm pushing them along. And it's the same thing. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we align with Jesus, then it's his strength that gets us through. We're done. We're over it. I can't do this anymore. You have Jesus that comes along and it's through his strength. So what's the application and what do we do this? Well, you hope in the Lord. You put your hope in the Lord. Your Bible might say in 31, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. You might say, wait in the Lord or rest in the Lord. That hope, wait, and trust are all the same thing. What it means is that while God is busy doing the RE words that he does, redemption and restoration, as he is renewing us, there is an RE word that we're supposed to be doing. And that is to remain. We remain in him We rest in Jesus. We hope in him. Remain in the Bible in a number of different places means that we continue or persevere in believing. That no matter how dark it is, no matter how hopeless it is, no matter how tired I am, no matter how uh, flat exhausted I am dealing with it yet again, I just trust God that eventually he will work this stuff out. I don't tell the worship team what to sing or to play. Um, and I am constantly amazed at how often um, Rich and Bailey are, are at picking these songs that perfectly line up with our text, just the, the meanings behind the text. During the first service while I was waiting uh, to come out to reach, I was, I was over here in the, in the hallway there and I was listening to the worship team sing and they were singing these words, I will wait for you. I will wait for you through the storm and through the night. I will wait for you. That is what Isaiah is saying in his way. Wait on the Lord and he will renew your strength. One of the moments that is so fleeting as a parent, one of the things that you don't realize is kind of significant as it's happening or you look back on with just a little smile it's not a major milestone but you look back on a milestone or you look back at this moment and think that it was kind of fun is when you introduce your new child to the dogs all right It's just a stage everybody talks about. I hear people talking about it like, well, we hope that the dogs are emotionally prepared because we're going to now divide our attention. I hear people say that, you know. You give them a treat, they'll be fine. And so we have these moments where we show, or I'll hear grandparents talk about it. We're bringing the grandbaby home. Hope that the grandpuppy is okay with the grandbaby. You know, stuff like that. Stop saying this, and this is a real human. And so they'll do that, you know. People are worried about introducing. I remember that. I remember that. Amos, our third son, uh, was a, he was a nervous baby. Okay? He, didn't, he didn't bust out crying, but, but he, had this, he he made this face where his eyes got really big and there'd be like one big tear that sat right there. And he, was, he would look around. His little lip would all come out like this. It was adorable. I kind of wanted to make him do it, but Jackie said I had to stop. And so he was, he was just nervous about everything. He'd look around. And when we introduced Amos to our dogs at the time, I remember that. Jackie's holding Amos. And uh, we had this dog. She was a terrier, real hairy. And um, she had this, she had this uh, way about moving. She slithered on the ground. When she was nervous or excited about things, she got real low and just sort of slithered on the ground. And so Jackie brings in Amos, and she's holding Amos. And, and Sage, the dog, um, slithers over to her and kind of stands there and, and, and tries to get up as far, but not jump, because that dog knew better than to jump. And so she, she starts to sniff, and she's trying to see, what, did you get another one? I think that's what Sage was thinking. And so um, she's like looking at this, did you get another? And so she's sniffing. Amos reacts of course, as any child would. His eyes got real big, wasn't real sure about this. He saw his little hands holding on to Jackie's shirt, and he grasped her shirt just like that, like as hard as you could. You could see all of his little strength was in there, and in a little bit, he pulled himself up. Like, I mean that far, but he did. He pulled himself up, and he had his, he was holding on to his mama because he was not sure about whatever that was. He felt scared. He felt Afraid, And so he did everything in his ability to hold himself up out of the way of that dog. But we all know that his little harms and his little fist were not what was keeping him out of harm's way. It wasn't all of the strength that Amos could muster that was saving him from the dog. It was two things. His mama had him and That dog is not going to do anything his mama says she's not allowed to do. It was his mama's strength and his mama's authority that kept Amos from the danger. When we get into these situations, when you're seeing nothing but smoke in the sky and you're totally terrified, the best you can do is grasp onto God with every strength that you have. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's what you should do remain in Christ, but rest in this. It is His strength and His authority that will keep us safe. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.